everyone, and welcome back to Unyielded, Thriving No Matter What. I'm your host, Bobby Kaler, and I'm so happy that you've joined us. Our mission is to provide stories and resources that will give you inspiration to explore all of the possibilities that your life can be. The possibilities are limitless. And guess what? So are you. It begins with believing. Believing in yourself, believing that the future is yours to write, believing that you can not only write your desired future, but that you have everything that you need to write it, edit it as needed, and fully and wonderfully live it. And you don't have to wait. You can start today. The pen truly is in your hand. I cannot wait to share this week's conversation with you. My guest today is the CEO of Head Scratchers, a company that trains professionals in critical thinking for problem solving, decision making, leadership, and innovation. He provides speaking, workshops, and online training to teach techniques for generating new ideas and possibilities for solutions. He is the author of the book Think Smarter Critical Thinking to Improve Problem Solving and Decision Making Skills. Prior to forming Head Scratchers, he was a technology and operations executive with 25 years of experience in leading teams that created numerous award-winning products and services. His name is Michael Callett, and I cannot wait for you to meet him. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining me here on the, on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, I don't even know how we first connected, but I know we're connected on LinkedIn and our emails, you know, somehow our, our paths crossed. But I thought before we kind of dive into it, would you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell the listeners who you are and what you do? All right. Well, my name is Mike Hallett. And what I do is I get people to think. I haven't always done that. I had a career <laughs> in telecommunications, and uh, sometimes I needed to get myself to think. But I have a technology background, software background, a computer, telecommunications, internet background. And in uh, 2004, we were a public company. We sold the company to private investors who just wanted to break us up into little pieces. And I've always been a builder of things, not a taker or part of things. So yeah. they didn't need me to sell it off. I wasn't that interested. So I started a company called Head Scratchers. And goal of the company was to get people to think. And I can go into a little bit more about why I decided to go down that route. But that's what I do. I, get, I teach critical thinking to enable people to evaluate issues and problems in a different way. I love that. And I do want to know more about, you know, because I love the name Head Scratchers, but, you know, why? What led you to do that? Well, okay. So I'm, I'm in this executive board meeting at, with this, we were a half a billion dollar telecommunications company. And a lot of our revenue is coming from the dial-up internet days. This is in the wow. early 2000s, right? And you know, it was clear that the dial-up internet business was going to diminish because DSL and broadband, you know, cable was getting more popular and the technology finally got there. So our revenue started to, you know, go down. And we were in this meeting, and uh, the purpose of the meeting was to create a five-year plan. And we were about a half a billion dollars. And you know, someone said, What do we want to be in five years? And and someone said, Well, we want to be a billion dollar company. And no one said anything about you know being a great place to work or having great solutions for our customers. It was just be a billion dollar company. 
And then they started working on it. And I was in this meeting and doing it as well, saying, well, this is what we'd have to sell more of to be a billion dollar company. And more of was going away. So, you know, at one point I sat back in my chair and I said to myself, you know, I wonder if anybody in this room is doing any thinking, myself included. So at that moment, I decided that, you know, and then in my background, people who used to work with me or for me always used to come to me and and tell me after the fact, years later, you know, that I got him to think, that I, I asked a lot of questions and I got him to think. So that's when I decided to, you know, after we soon after that, we, we got into negotiations to sell the company. And that's when I decided to say, okay, well, after this deal is done, I'm going to go start a company, get people to think. Nice. And that's why I did it. And I, I love it. It's great. I get, I, it's very rewarding because I see the bulbs go off all the time when, when I'm training people and they see, wow, that's a great way to approach the problem solving. Yeah. So, and now Head Scratchers, was that name? Did you come up with that like right away? How'd that name come about? Yeah, I, you know, it's great. I don't even remember how it came <laughs> up. With you know, you sit there, you know, when something, you know, that's a head scratcher. It's something that we that's don't right. quite understand. And I thought that would be a good name. And I was lucky to get the, the domain headscratchers.com. So yeah, it's catchy. Although I did in the 16 years since I started the company, I did get a telephone call one time from someone who asked me if we were a hair salon. That's the only time. I said, no, no, we scratch our heads a lot, but we're not a hair salon. (laughs) We don't do that. But yeah, I like the name and uh, it's stuck. And I'm not exactly sure when I actually came up with it. I think I might have been thinking about that for a long time. Yeah. But I like it. You know, it's catchy. Yeah. And like you say, when we're really thinking about something, it makes us scratch our head and go, huh, wonder about that. So, Mike, if you were explaining, how do you explain what critical thinking is to you know the average person? Yeah, well, it's a good question. So if you search on Google on critical thinking, you get about 50 million opinions. Oh, yeah. about what it is. <laughs> so the elevator uh, speech or the elevator definition is basically a conscious decision to understand the thinking that we're using as we evaluate issues, understand problems, figure out what to do, and then eventually decide to do it. And, you know, we make thousands of uh, decisions a day. What pair of shoes to wear, what pair of socks to wear, what foot to put on, which shoe, what side of the mouth I should brush my teeth on. I I read one one, I read somewhere that the average human being makes between 25 and 35,000 conscious conclusions a day. And so we're on automatic all the time. And you should because because most of those decisions doesn't really matter which foot you put which sock on first, as long as the socks are matching, right? But so most of those don't matter. But the ones that really do matter, you don't want to be in this what we call automatic state. You want to be in what we call manual. You want to understand the thinking that you're using as you figure things out. And and so that's really the definition of critical thinking. Now there's a lot of you know left brain, right brain inference type definitions, but that's we, we took a very pragmatic approach when I and, and the, the other people who I work with came up with how to teach people to think a little differently and critically think. That makes perfect sense. And when you said avoid the automatic thinking, is that a little bit like the automatic being on automatic pilot? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you remember driving someplace one time and not remember the drive, right? It's kind of scary, right? It doesn't mean someone cut in front of you hit them, but you might miss a lot of things, you know, new road closed tomorrow, a new restaurant opening, or, or you know, someone says, did you see that? I said, no, I wasn't paying attention. And you're driving and you're not paying attention, right? But that's what happens. So you're in automatic a lot. And, you know, sometimes, and people, you know, you put your wallet down or your keys and, you know, you're about to get in your car and you don't remember where you put your keys. 
That's and that's not, that's a, I'm not talking about losing your facilities. I'm talking about you're not paying attention and you just, you know, you're on automatic. And that's okay most of the time, but not all the time. Yeah. So, okay. That makes me think what gets in the way of critical thinking? And maybe this is a second question, but yeah, let's start with that one. What gets in the way of critical thinking? Well, one of the things that get in the way is people don't think they have time. They don't have time. Now, think about that. That doesn't make any sense. But, <laughs> but they, because you'll see, I mean, in, in critical thinking, one of the first and most important components is getting clear on the problem. Yeah. We don't like to spend too much time in that. We're doers. We like to get stuff done. So if you're sitting there and you're asking questions and you're, you know, and someone's going to say, you know, are, are we done now? Can we get something done? Yeah. So the example I give about that is you've had the experience of driving in a crowded grocery store parking lot, right? You're looking oh, yes. for a spot. Cars are going every which way. People are pushing their wagons, tapping on the phones, not looking where they're going. And your passenger says to you, there's a spot. There's a spot doesn't help. Now, if they said there's a spot one row over to the right, cars up, <laughs> you know where to look, right? But there's a spot is a lot faster to say than there's cars over to the right. There's a parking space, uh, you know, uh, one row over and a couple cars up. So people don't think they have the time. But, but what really happens is when someone says there's a spot, you say where? And they say over there. And you say, can you be a little <laughs> bit more specific? And they say one row over and a couple cars up. So in reality, not using critical thinking actually takes longer because not only it takes you longer because you have to redo stuff, but sometimes you end up solving the wrong problem. So, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels like it's going to be slowing it down. You're asking a lot, a lot of questions up front instead of later when you've made all these mistakes. And then you ask the question, you ask the questions up front, but that takes a little longer than just sitting down and just doing uh, so that's one reason why that's one barrier. That people don't think they have time. The other is, is the pressure that everybody is in to get stuff done. So even after I train a whole bunch of people, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, the, does our leadership know about this? Because our leaders are not going to necessarily give us the time to be more thorough. And so that's when I do a, a primer for the leaders or I train the leaders. But that's pretty much it. And then people don't know how. It's not it's, how. You're not born with this knowledge. You actually have to learn how to think critically and have a tool set. And they, and, you know, they don't have that, which is why I get it. That's right. And you said, Mike, getting clear on the problem. Because otherwise, to your point, we can end up solving the wrong problem. We're not even solving the problem. <laughs> We're exactly. solving something else. How do people get clear on the problem? Okay, so that's a great question. Is first, you know, so that's the first step in in model is is clarity, getting clear on the problem, the issue, the goal, the objective. And there's a number of tools. One tool we use a lot is a thing called inspection, which is looking at the words and making sure the words are clear. So let's say you're wrestling with a, a problem. You know, how do we get this done fast? Well, what does faster mean? Because faster to me is ten percent faster, and faster to you is twenty percent faster, and faster to our manager is hundred percent faster. We have different approaches on doing that. And then, yeah, I often ask when people have like, how do we do it? I'd say, who is we? I'm sure you've been in a meeting where, you know, the we word comes up. Some of the people who are in the we aren't even in the meeting. Some of the stakeholders, does they don't even know that this is their problem. So we look at the words and we get really clear and eliminate ambiguity of the words because people think that they understand that, but they're not necessarily on the same page as others who are having a different definition. What is better mean? What does faster mean? What does more mean? You know, how would you measure this? So that's inspection. And then we ask questions like why? And then is this a want or a need? We ask uh, what's the impact? So there's a lot of questions, critical thinking questions we look at to make sure people are really clear on what problem are you actually trying to solve? 
Because a lot of times we do this, people come with a problem and they realize that the problem they're trying to solve isn't the problem, something completely different. Completely different. A lot of people. Okay. As you were talking there, Mike, here's what occurred to me. Here's, it was a flashback to a memory. When I was in grad school, we were assigned, it was a group project and there was a question, there was a problem that we were supposed to solve. And as I was looking at the question, I thought, I can see this. The question meaning this, or the question could mean something totally different. And they were almost opposite. And I said to my group, I said, I really think we need to get clarity on what's the real question. And they're like, no, the answer is this. And I'm like, you're right if you're reading the question, you know, in one way, but we're wrong if we ask, if we're looking at it the other way. And I remember they got very upset and they said, you're just so hooked on semantics. And I'm like, but that matters. You know, what's the we, what's the faster, what's the better, you know? And so finally to humor me, they went to the professor and he came back and he was like, he had never intended for that question to mean what they thought it meant. Yeah. And that's what came to me. It's like, what's the question that we're answering? What's the problem right. that we're solving? Exactly. You know, when I ask my customers, you know, on projects that they've had been on and they've gone awry or they haven't been, you know, done well or something like that, the number one answer I always get is we weren't clear on the problem in the first place. Wow. And that goes for, you know, like when your customer asks you something, you know, can you do this, right? When your customer says, can you do this, do this, that's actually their conclusion. So they figured out that if you do this, they're going to be happy. Well, you know, the customer may not necessarily know all the things that you could actually do. So if you don't understand what problem they're actually trying to solve with the request to do this, you might do exactly what they ask for and you give it to them and they're very happy, but doesn't solve their problem. That's right. And now they, yeah. they come back and, and either they're not happy or they say, well, this didn't solve my problem. And you say, well, that's what you asked us to do. It's like, well, that's not what we meant. Right. right? Or, or, or that didn't solve the problem. So now we have to do it again. So, you know, one of the things, and, and I, I did this in my whole career because I was developing software for other customers and I would make it very clear when they asked me to do stuff, I would get very clear on, okay, so, for, you know, I, I hear what you're asking me to do and that, I could do that, but let's talk about what you're trying to accomplish. What are you trying to do? What mm-hmm. are you trying to make it faster, easier? Are you trying to reduce costs? Are you trying to, you know, what actually are you trying to address here? Because once I understood that, yeah, I could often say, okay, well, what you asked me to do would only be potentially a partial solution because it's only going to address this. What you really need is this. Yeah. The light would go on and say, oh, yeah, I'm glad we had this conversation. It takes time. It takes, it takes time, time to do that. And people don't like to spend that time. Well, what you're saying, though, makes perfect sense, right? Because sometimes someone comes to us and they have a solution in mind sure. that is limited by their experience with the problem. Whereas if you're the expert, you have more experience with it. So you can see all the different solutions. But also think about, yeah, maybe it takes a little bit more time up front. But how much time does it take if we don't solve the right problem? Right. Or sometimes it's an oral magnitude. Yeah, I mean, yeah. oh my goodness. So what role, because I, mean, I know you talked about the ambiguity and, and man, that's everywhere. What about, what role does assumptions play? Yeah, okay. So you get clear on the problem. Yeah. Now it's time to figure out what to do. Because at the end of the day, you know, we get paid because we figure stuff out, not because we're just clear. So assumptions is one of the major components in how we reach a, what we call a conclusion, a to-do. You make assumptions. So assumptions are based on experiences. Yep. They're based on, on facts. They're based on what we call observations, which are things that you don't know to be true, but you've never experienced them. So everything you read, all the everything on the internet, uh, all the politicians, all the media, 
Those are all observations because they might be true, but unless you know it to be true, we call it an observation. So from facts, observation, experiences, you make a presumption about what was, what is, or what will be. We call that an assumption. So for instance, let's say you have, when you, in the morning commute, when it rains, the commute takes a longer time. And so the night before you hear the weather person say, it's going to rain during the commute out, right? So that's an observation. You don't know it's true. Hopefully the weather people are pretty accurate, but they're not, right? So it's an observation. So the observation is the weather person says it's going to rain. Your experience is when it rains, you know, it takes you long to get to work. So you make the assumption, probably going to bad, it's going to be a bad commute tomorrow. And from that assumption, you come to a conclusion to set your alarm a little bit early. Perfect. So we, yeah, and that's sort of how we think. And everybody thinks that now that way. Now we weigh these things. So some people might say, well, that weather guy, he's only right 10% of the time. So I'm going to discount what that person does. The assumption there is, is based on your experience with that weather person, they're not accurate. So you discount that, even though, you know, it looks like it's going to bore. But, you know, so we weight these things differently based on our personality, based on our, like, that's where Myers-Briggs comes in, where, where a person, we weight these things differently. And we use that in combination with our experiences, our facts, our observations. We make assumptions and those drive us to conclusions. Wow. So in that case, the assumption works well, it works in our favor, right? If right. it rains the next day, we, we set our alarm early. What about the assumptions that maybe work against us a little bit? Well, I don't look at it as working against us or, or for us. I look at bad assumptions and good assumptions. I'm just trying so to I'll, avoid I'll, that. Bad assumption is founded on information that's not accurate. So for instance, when you're cruising online and you're reading all kinds of stuff on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, and some of that stuff is very valid. Some of that stuff is completely fabricated, right? Yeah. Well, if you're reading something that's fabricated and it sounds good to you, you're going to think that's true. And based upon that, you're going to make certain assumptions about the world and what to do based on information that's completely inaccurate, which kind of leads you into a conversation we started to have earlier about confirmation bias. Yes. Is we tend to look for information that validates what we think is true or hope is true, but may not necessarily true. And we discount contrarian information that perhaps disproves what we don't want to disprove. So, I mean, think about, you know, it doesn't matter if you're on the left or your right or on the middle, but most people watch the, the news stations, listen to the politicians and the media that is consistent with what they hope is the way. Yeah. And so it just reinforces what might be misconceived or it might be completely false. And it, it reinforces that to the point where it becomes almost a truism to you, even though it may be completely false. Right. So, you know, so, the, you know, in, I grew up with, a, I have a science math background and, you know, and scientists are, are taught to, to try to avoid confirmation bias. They're trying to look at the objective information and make objective decisions based on that information, even though it is contrary to what they hope is. And, you know, it's hard to do that because yeah. we trend, we want to be right. We want to mm. be forward. We want to say, we found it. We got the answer. And this is it. We want clarity in what, the way the world works and the way things are. But, you know, sometimes you get information and if it doesn't fit into your little world, you throw it out. You say, well, that's an anomaly, right? <laughs> that doesn't count. Right. So confirmation bias is something that we everybody everybody has, and and 
you know, being aware confirmation bias, being aware of, is this information true? How do I know this is true? You know, if I had that one experience, does that one experience, is that the experience? In other words, is, is that experience indicative of the way it really is? Or is that just one experience? And maybe there's a hundred other experiences that are completely different. Is that the main way, Mike, that someone can become aware of their confirmation bias? I rephrase the question. The When you say, you're like asking yourself, how do I know this is true? Yeah. Or yeah. is that really the best way for people to become aware of that for themselves? Uh, that's one way. Um, also, you know, experience. So, you know, when you have an experience, you have to ask yourself, is it possible? It's hard to argue with, is it possible, right? Is it possible that there may be other experiences out? So, for example, uh, you know, if, you, you, if you've ever eaten in a restaurant and you've got food poisoning before, you'd probably never go back, there, right? That's right. Uh, so, you know, I, we did that. My wife and I did this. We went to a restaurant uh, and we got sicker than I would wish on my worst enemy. We've never been back. Now, you know, TripAdvisor and, you know, has great reviews. You know, the line is, is there's always a line. The restaurant's been in business for 40, 50 years. Clearly, if we use critical thinking, we should go back because it's probably a good place. We've never been back because the memory of the downside is just so bad. We just can't. Who would want to? Yeah. But, but that's an example of, you know, using one experience to extrapolate to say, this is the way the world is, or this is the way this restaurant is. And in fact, that's really not the case. Yeah. People do that all the time. If you could yeah. substitute in restaurants, you know, airlines, people have one bad experience oh. on an airline and they're the worst airline ever. But, you know, they're serving millions of people who tend to have good experiences or Maybe it was one bad experience because the weather was bad or who knows. All right. So the confirmation bias, I love that. Is that one? Because one of the questions I wanted to ask you too is how do people become more aware of their assumption? Is that linked to the confirmation bias? Well, you have to ask. You have to ask yourself, what assumptions am I making? We don't usually do that. We don't ask, what assumptions am I making? And you know, you've heard the expression, don't make assumptions. Oh, yeah. It is not possible to come to a conclusion without making an assumption. It's not possible. Where the expression comes from is we assume that the assumptions we're making are good ones. So it's a double whammy because we don't question our assumptions. And so what, the number one question I tell people in our workshops, I tell people the number one question to remember out of the one, two, or three days that we're together is what assumptions are we making? Before you do anything that might have a serious downside, always ask, what assumptions am I making? And then the second question after that, is why am I making those assumptions? When you ask why am I making those assumptions, I will always go to a facts, observations, and experience conversation. Always. Because those are the foundation for assumptions. You know, why are you assuming it's going to be a bad commute tomorrow? Well, the weather guy says it's going to rain, and you know what happens when it rains, right? Yeah. So that you, if you ask what assumptions am I making and why am I making this, then you realize that, well, you know, I, I'm making this because I had a bad experience at that restaurant, so I'm assuming that restaurant's crummy. Well, was only that one time. So yeah. maybe the assumption is not a good one. And if the assumption is not a good one, then the conclusion won't be either. Right. Okay. I love that. So with the, what assumptions am I making? Is it hard for people to see their own assumptions? Well, they don't want to take, they just think it's a good idea. And so they, well, if they run. And so, so a lot of times what, what assumptions are making, they well, I don't know. They'll say, I don't know. I say, no, you do know. Let's just think about it. A little bit more. Just got to spend a little time to think about it. You know, what experience have you had what have you read? What do you know to be true? And what, you know, what, so what information are you using to think that this is going to be a good idea, that this is going to work? Yeah. And, you know, I, critical thinking isn't hard. It's just 
you just have to ask a series of questions and you got to take the time and have the discipline to actually do it. Yeah. A lot of times people think, well, this is a great idea. This is a great idea. Let's just go do it. Say, well, wait a minute. Before you just go do it, what are the assumptions you're making about why you think this is actually going to work? You know, well, we're assuming that every one of our customers is going to shell out $500 for this great little product. Well, you know, why are you doing that? Why are you making that assumption? Well, we talked to two of them and they really liked it, right? Well, out of you know, 100,000 customers, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, right? Yeah. I've had that actual experience, actually, where, where you know, after one or two conversations, it was like, okay, let's go. I said, well, wait a minute. Before we jump off that cliff, let's ask a couple more questions. Yeah. No, completely, right? I mean, two people, that's not a big data point. So... You mentioned critical thinking. It's not that hard. It's just really about asking those questions. So we've got, what assumptions am I making? Why am I making those assumptions? What would be some other questions? If people you know, just really want to make this simple for themselves to make sure they're making better decisions, what else should they be asking themselves? Oh, well, there's, I, I tell you, the best way to figure out what question to ask is go to the website, headscratchers.com, because I write a monthly thinking tip. It's called the Head yeah. Scratcher Post. And I think I'm up to 158. Uh, I've been doing it for, <laughs> for a long time. About one a month, almost one a month. I, yeah. Not quite a month. But one of them was my 100 favorite questions to ask. And yeah. no, they're not all applicable in all situations. And, you know, they're not, you know, but that's a, you can get a really good start. But, you know, it's, there's a lot of questions. And then that's just a start. I mean, yeah. uh, the questions come up in the conversation. You know, those are the two most important. What assumption are you making or why? Okay. And then, you know, of course, it, before you even get to figuring out something, you got to get clear. Going back to clarity is like, you know, why is a tool? And there's actually four reasons why you ask why. And and so we get into that as one of the big questions to ask is, yeah. is why. So to ask why, it, you know, it, so the, the four reasons are the first is what we call distinguishing this from that. So someone, I, we sort of mentioned this before, someone gives you something to do. That's a to do. That's a task. And you want to ask, well, why do you want me to do that? Now, there's different ways to ask why, so it's doesn't it's not misinterpreted. If you just say why, you know, people right. don't think you're insubordinate, you don't want to do it. And that's not what this was. This is why it's for me to do the very best job I can. It would be really helpful. I had some additional information about this this thing you're asking me to do. So can you give me some more clarity on why you're asking for this? And so an example of this is, you know, when my kids were little, I'd say, go clean up the room. And if that's all I said, then everything on the floor would get shoved under the bed. <laughs> that's that's okay if like grandma's coming, right? But if I say go clean up your room because we want we're having the carpets clean. There's carpeting underneath it, but they know not to shove it under the bed because they won't be able to clean that. They'll shove everything in the closet because they're not gonna clean in the closet, right? Right. So I get two different results because I tell them why I want them to clean up the room. What problem am I trying to solve? Distinguishing the mm. past from the problem. The second reason to find why is to what we call root cause, right? You know, you've heard root cause analysis. Yep. And most organizations do root cause analysis when something bad happens. So they want to understand the root cause so they prevent that. Well, in critical thinking, you, you use root cause analysis to figure out what went well. So if the result is unexpectedly bad or unexpectedly good, you want to know why. Because if it's better than you thought, maybe you could replicate that at another time. So right. you ask why to find root cause. The third reason is to what we call uncover your ignorance. You want to get to I don't know. Now, I don't know is not allowed in critical thinking. You have to know. Who can I ask to find out? Where can I, what research can I do to find out? What experiment can I do to find out? What assumptions can I make that allow me to know? And then I could validate or validate those assumptions later. But you just can't be, I don't know. How can the network went down? Beats the heck out of me. You know, you got to know. And the 
fourth reason to ask why is what we call discovering the double because. This is a, a because that's beyond your reasonable control. So let's say your, your refrigerator broke, you got to buy a new refrigerator, right? So you pay rent or you have a mortgage, you, you pay taxes, you buy food, gas, clothing. And you say to yourself, you know, if I just didn't have to pay those taxes, I could take that money, buy a new refrigerator. Well, paying taxes is a double because. I mean, you could break the law, but assuming you don't do that, you still got to buy a refrigerator. There's always a way. It's just not that way. You know, go bang your head right. against a different wall because that wall isn't moving. You know, if you're in a business and you're trying to get budget for something and, you know, your, your manager says, go away. That's all the money. <laughs> we go away. That's a double because. You still got to solve the problem. There's always a way. It's just not that way. So why, and there's a lot of other implementations of why, but why is one of the major tools in critical thinking to get clear on right. what we're doing, why we're doing it, what problem are we really trying to solve? Yeah. I'm thinking about, it's, you know, you hear this quite a bit, always ask somebody why three times, and then you start getting some clarity. Yeah. It's called the five whys actually. And it's from, it came out of a Toyota. Ah, that's it. And we don't stop at five whys, but you know, you keep going, but you know, you see that commercial with the kid. Why, 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 yep. why? And then eventually the parent says, because I said so. That's a double because to the kid, right? But yeah, we don't limit it to five whys. It just said after five whys, you generally get to a root cause. That's really where that yeah. came from. Okay. So that's awesome. One of the other head scratchers I wanted to ask you about was the darn thinking, darn thinking. Yeah. This was one of the recent head scratcher posts that I wrote. And I, there's a couple of posts over the years where I have this acronym. Where I just think it's kind of cutesy, but it stands for Detour, Alternative, Revise, and So you're going along on a project and something happens. So an example, I'll use driving. I said that you're, you're driving along and the road is blocked. So you just, you know, you, you follow the detour. You just go around the construction or whatever, and you get back on, you're on your merry way, and off you go. So a lot of times, you you know, you might be on a project and, you know, or your computer, you know, glitches and, and you have to switch to a different machine or you have to reboot it. That's a deep, you know, something minor doesn't really impact what you're doing very much, but it, it is, it's a little unplayable. That's deep. Alternative method is, let's say you're driving and your engine overheats and seizes up, okay? You still got to get to your destination, but you're not going to be able to use that vehicle. So you might rent a car. Or you might have someone, okay. right? So that's sort of a, you have an alternative method to get to your objective, right? You might, if you are, if you're in a business and you're on a project and someone quits, you might outsource to a contractor temporarily to pick up the slack, right? So your yeah. objective hasn't changed, but your method to get there might be a, a little bit different, right? So that's the alternative. So it's DA, right? R is revise your objective. So you're going on a trip and you're going to Florida to go to Disney World, and you know four or five days before you go, there's a hurricane, right? This actually happened to me. So you revise your objective. You decide to take your. I, what happened with me is, is we I quickly got on the phone and I got to Disneyland in California. Oh, <laughs> and, okay. And so we, yeah, it was, I was lucky. But you, you change the objective. You know, in this case, it wasn't a major objective change. But maybe you change your, instead of going to Disneyland or Disney World, you decide to take a hike in the mountains with your family. So you change the objective. Still going on vacation, but you're modifying the objective. And the last one is the new objective, where you're, I'll use the vacation, you're going on vacation, two people get sick and you decide, look, this isn't going to work. We're going to stay at home and play Monopoly. An example of a new objective. So for me, when COVID struck, right, 
my business was on-site workshops and wow. that clearly wasn't going to happen. So I revised, I, I did the revise objective, the D-A-R-N-R, revise the objective. I revised the plan was I still need to give my workshops. I'm just not going to get on an airplane and do it in person. And so I spent a few months creating a virtual live workshop and it worked out really well. For some, if you were a small restaurant that didn't have takeout, your business collapsed and you decide to become a fisherman. So you create a completely new objective. So sometimes, you know, people, you know, companies are, or have business plan that completely fall apart and you have to do something different. In a personal situation, you know, a new objective, might, let's say you're engaged to somebody and they break off the engagement, right? Well, your new objective might be, you know, I'm just going to hang out being a single person for a long time. <laughs> right. I'm going to take a break from that. Yeah. Yeah. Just a different, I had a goal. It's not, you know, the goal, there's no detour. There's no alternative way to get there. There's no revision. It's like, we are done and I'm going to do something else. Yeah. So when would someone want to use this lens, this framework? Well, it's just when something happens, you have to ask yourself, okay, is this a, is this a little detour? And you know, I don't have to stress uh, out about it. Is this something where, you know, I, I need to like reconsider modifying the way I'm uh, approaching the objective, you know, someone quits. It's like, well, you know, okay, it's going to take a six month to hire somebody. Oh, wait a minute, maybe we could just hire contractors or or ask someone who who left to come back or someone who's retired to come back. So, you know, maybe we just have to have an alternative method. Or do we need to like this is a real problem? We need to actually revise our goal here. Right. Uh, our project is behind schedule. It is not going to meet the schedule. We need to revise the project for a bit. Or is this a you know a, a major event where you know. We need to like, we need a different plan. This is this, what we're, what our goal was is we are never going to be able to achieve it. It's just not going to happen. We need to start a new business. We need to find a new partner. We need to do something dramatically different. Yeah. I really like that. It really kind of simplifies it and it helps people, I think, maybe see it with more possibility. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you figure out where you are in the scale and then you could have a rational way to evaluate what to do. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads me, Mike, too, to something in your, uh, in one of our correspondents, you put, there's always a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the components of coming to a conclusion that's facts, observations, experiences, and assumptions is your core value system, your beliefs. You know, do it right the first time. Time is really important to me. It, one of my core beliefs is there's always a way. It's sort of like, a, there's always a way. There's and we'll get it way. done. So when something happens, it's like, you know, yeah, it looks like, there's a lot of diversity uh, in front of us. There's a lot of there's a there's a lot of barriers, but we'll figure it out. It will get figured out, and it doesn't mean that you know. I mean, it's not. It's, sometimes it, it, it just doesn't. But if you have the attitude that there's always a way, then you're open to the possibility of other ways to approach things, which helps certainly helps me. And it's a great. I've always had that attitude. That there's always a way. We'll get it done. It'll figure it out. It will get figured out. There's um, some way. We might not know it yet, but there is a way. Yeah. That's one of the things that my mom, she was exceptional at. There's always a way. Yeah. You know, so, well, and tell me, I want to get to your book too. Your book is Think Smarter. Yeah, book. Yeah. So after the second workshop I gave, which was in 2005, one of the participants in the workshop said, hey, Mike, this is good stuff. You should write a book. I said to myself, that's a good idea. So I put it on my to-do list, write a book, (laughs) right? Nine years later, Wiley and Sons, a publisher, called me up. They had read some of my wow. stuff online. And they asked me, I said, you know, they asked me if, you know, if I ever thought about writing a book. 
I said, I have. It's on my to-do list. And they said, how long has it been on your to-do list? I said, nine years. And they said, well, what's it going to take for you to write the book? And I said, well, I got to teach you the difference between want and need. Because I want to write the book, but I don't think I need to write the book. I mean, business was growing. It was doing well. Mm. And what do I need a book for? So they asked me, I said, well, you know, do you want to go on speaker engagements? I said, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, sure. Do you want to go international? I said, yeah. Do you want to raise your fees? I said, yeah, that's a great idea. I said, and they said, you need a book if you want to do all that stuff. I said, oh, I guess I need to write a book. So I, I had all the material. So it only took me about six months to write the book, and I wrote it. And, you know, it's not a Harry Potter bestseller, but I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why people would want to listen to Witches and Warlocks instead of Critical Thinking, but, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> Who knows? But when people ask me how long it took to write the book, I said, well, two ways to look at it. One is six months. The other is nine years and six months. Yeah, but really it was but, a six months. But the book is, it's, it's, the reviews are, you know, it's a fast read. In fact, Wiley and Sons, the publisher, they were a little bit concerned because the chapters were really small and they were worried about too much white space, you know, because if you, oh. you have a small chapter, there's a half of a page left or, you know, one side of a page. And I said, it's the tools, you know, I, they, you read a little bit of it and then you go work the tool. You don't have to read the whole yep. book. And they really liked that. And they ended up liking the way I, I did that. It's a fast read and you don't have to read everything, but, and it's pragmatic. So, you know, you read it and it makes sense. There's exercises in the book. It, it's, I look back and I can't believe I actually wrote a book because I really don't like write. <laughs> I mean, I like to write. I just, my, my, my grammar is awful. So I had an editor that helped me out with this, but yeah, it's, uh, it's good. Everybody in my workshop gets a book and then people just buy the book and it's translated actually into two dialects of Chinese. And I was told it's out there in some other languages or language. Wow. But big deal. And Ryan yeah. Sons, I mean, that's a, that's a big publisher. Yeah, no, it is. And I mean, you know, I make more money in people reading the book and then wanting to do a workshop than that's I right. do in revenue from the book. You know, yeah. I don't get paid a lot for the book. No. Especially because it was my first book. And so it's like, you know, I'm not going to pay practically anything. But so then they actually uh, talked to me a while back about writing another book. And I said, it's on my to-do list. Is that to-do things. list again? I got other things to do before I write another book. But yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's really, it's turned out pretty good. Yep. And I the saw, reviews are good. I saw one of the reviews and I can't remember exactly, but it was something along the lines of that you really made it simple and very, very approachable. Like just took the yeah. complexity out of it, which I think is a, that's why people can use things. You know, yeah. and we can well, work through that. Yeah. Well, also people who know me, when they read the book, they hear me in the book. In other words, yeah. I, I write like I speak, which may or may not be a good thing, but it's, you know, it's it's easy to understand. It makes sense, as you've said several times in, in this podcast, it, it makes sense. It makes it sense. Does make sense. sense. This is, if it makes sense, this is, it should make sense. That's how we yeah. think. So there's the book. There's also your website where you have the head scratchers, you know, the posts that you make there. What is your website again, if people wanted to check that out? It's uh, www.headscratchers.com. Perfect. And what is, and if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch with you? Go to the website and go to the contact us page and just fill out that. I answer every question or, and you can subscribe from there. You can subscribe to the head scratcher post, the thinking tip. You could just, you could uh, ask for more information about, or get on a list to, you know, if I give a webinar, you'll get notified. I do 99% of the workshops I give are, tailored, customized for particular organizations between mm -hmm. 15 and 25 people. But several times a year, I do an open enrollment workshop, which is you know, individuals can sign up and 
we do a workshop for them. And so you can get notified about the workshops that I give uh, from the Contact Us page. Perfect. That's the best one. Perfect. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much. This has been great. And you know, one of the things I love about it is you give such practical and, and approachable like examples, you know, that anyone can, can sit back and say, yeah, like when you were talking about driving through the parking lot, I've done that how many times? Oh, there's a spot over there. Right. Well, that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. So, so where this came from, I, a lesson learned a long time ago when I was doing computer graphics. This is when computers were not even computer shit, right? So this is on programmable terminals, Hewlett Packard plotters, wow. of pen. Anyway, I was doing a, a demo for a big oil company in Houston. And, you know, they wanted charts. They wanted pie charts, bar charts, money charts, right? So I wrote some software to do this. So I showed them a pie chart and it had an expanded piece and, you know, pepperoni and, and sausage. And it was a pie chart. And, and I thought it was cute to having a pie. And he looked at me and he said, this is a nice looking chart, but, you know, we don't do pizza here. And the bulb went off. I said, oh, I crossed off pepperoni. I said, North crude, Texas crude, you know, and, not, and I changed the and, he, and the light went on and he said, and he bought it on the spot. And so I realized at that point that having an abstraction, which is what I was doing by right. requiring him to extrapolate saying, yeah, I wouldn't do pizza, but I would do oil. He couldn't make that connection. It was a new technology and he just couldn't see that. And a lot of people have a hard time with abstraction. So when I wrote the book and when I designed the courses and did the tools and the model and the uh, behind this, I took the abstraction and that's yeah. what makes it easy to understand because you don't have to translate to, okay, so what the heck does that mean in real life? <laughs> yeah. How would I ever apply that? So I love that. I'm glad you had that experience because it makes your, it makes what you say and your writing and everything just that much more approachable. So, yeah. well, again, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. This has been absolutely great. And I just appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I love, as you can tell, I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> You're very passionate, and that's good. I am. Okay. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I love how approachable he makes what can seem like a complex topic. Here are my three insights for thriving. Number one, I love the framing of, is it possible that there are other ways of seeing this? That is a form of one of my favorite types of coaching questions, the hypothetical. Here's how I've used that. When someone is stuck, I'll ask, hypothetically, what are all the ways that a person could see this? Or hypothetically, what are all the options that might be present? This has an amazing broadening effect in how we think, and it sparks creativity. Number two, I loved his two questions. What assumptions am I making? And why am I making those assumptions? I also like how he put it. If our assumptions are bad, our decisions will be bad too. And finally, number three, there is always a way. And for any of you who know me, you will not be shocked at all that that resonated with me. It is just what I believe. And the thing that is so important about this is that if we do not believe that there is a way, we will not look for a way. And then that is the result we will get. So that is why I believe there is always a way. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you found value in this episode, I hope that you'll do us a favor and share it on your social media. And if you do that, please tag me in the post so I can thank you for your support. I hope that this episode will help you thrive no matter what.